Hey, very excited to be joined back here in studio by State House candidate Walter Featherly. How you doing? I'm doing very, really, really well. How about you? Very good. It's uh, it's finally getting the, the rain's gone. It was no rain, and then it was all rain. And, right and now, and, it's and now it's too hot. It's it did, again. Yesterday, I got in the car and it was 79. Yeah, so, too too hot. So, well, I'm excited you're here. Um, I first came across you. It was maybe 2014. So you're running for the state house, the open seat. In South Anchorage, the Kaufman seat. That's he's, right. He's running for the Senate. Yes. Um, but you had actually filed briefly to run for the House back in, I think, 2014, maybe? Uh, eight, exactly right. Eight years ago. Uh, and I, well, I was a candidate for all of four or five days. Uh, I had filed, made the decision to file. I actually filed at the request of then-Senator Mark Begich, um, who suggested that I run. and I'm Also and, the State House, right? Uh, also, the state house, same, essentially the same seat. I've I've lived in, lived in the house that my wife and I built uh, for 22 years. So, been in the been in the same district, and uh, uh, and the timing was just exactly wrong because at the same time as the uh, filing deadline of June 1, 2014, is the same was the same day that I changed law firms. From Patton Boggs to Holland and Knight, and mm-hmm. I had my first meeting with the managing partner of Holland and Knight. This big, this is a big, bigger, big, big firm. Big, Holland and Knight, yeah, big firm. He'd come up. We were uh, finalizing the papers for me to, me and the rest of my team to switch from Patton Boggs to Holland and Knight. Put Patton Boggs like a local. No, Patton Boggs is. They, it's also a DC-based firm. Oh, okay. So. Um, not quite as big as Holland and Knight, but a, but a national firm. And uh, uh, and I said, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know I, that I have filed for filed for election for state office in uh, uh, in my district. And the managing partner looked at me and he said, uh, he kind of all of a sudden got this crestfallen look on his face, and he said, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, go closer to the mic there. He said, in our part, he said it's in the partnership agreement. None of the part, no partner, not only can and not hold office, can't even run for office. And I win. So this is like right after you filed. Yeah. You, right you, after learned, you learned, I, yeah, oh man. Right after I filed. Well, it's better early, earlier than later if you were already running for, you know, six months or a year or something. Well, I guess so. The only problem is that this conversation took place on May 29th and the filing deadline was June 1. So all of a sudden I need, and Mark needed to scramble to find another candidate. So what what district is that? Well, who was the... so Sam Combs ended up stepping. Oh in. yeah, he's yes. the mor- motorcycle guy. Yeah, the motorcycle guy. I remember up, him. Yeah, he he stepped in um, when I had to step out. Was that the uh, who was the incumbent there? I'm trying to go back. Was that Mike Hawker? Hawker, yeah, yeah, Mike the, Hawker, yeah, the famous Taj Mahawker. The Taj Mahawker, right, right. I I, 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 um, said. I interviewed uh, what's his name, Godstein. The oh yeah, uh, Robert Robert Godstein. Yeah. So the whole reason that. This is actually fascinating. The whole reason that corrupt deal got exposed was because Godstein had the building next door, well, and they damaged Jim, Jim, Jim Godstein. Jim Godstein, yeah. Yes. They damaged the the ground, or something happened to the building, and they wouldn't do it. And he got really mad. Yeah. And Jim's kind of a little eccentric, and he just didn't give a shit. So he started suing and discovery, 
and because they wouldn't fix his building. And in the course of the discovery, that's when they found the back channel emails with Pfeffer and Hawker and they figured out the whole deal. And it, the whole freaking deal got invalidated. I mean, 36 yeah. or $40 million yeah. that this bank had to, you know, eat. And then they gave it to the, the APD got it for like, you know, nothing, 15 million. Or, the legislature should have just kept the damn thing and bought it yeah. for cheap. But, you know, it, it was such kind of a sim- symbol of kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. It was a big albatross at that point, political albatross. Yeah, that's that's a you got to read the fine print on the subject to appropriation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so you're running now, but but you actually worked with my friend Lee Baxter and Matt Singer for a while. So I kind of I don't I don't know you very well, but I, I knew of you. So yeah. Holland and Knight, and then that became Schwabi. But now you're at Ch- you went to Chalista at some point. You're the you're the lo- the main lawyer for Chalista, right? Yes, that that's right. Uh, at the end of 2019, uh, Andrew Guy, President and CEO of Chalista Corporation, offered me a position to come in-house at Chalista, be the, uh, serve as general counsel. And uh, it was kind of what I'd been doing anyway um, when I was at Holland and Knight. I did a lot of work for Chalista, did a lot of work with their board, uh, with their C-suite. And, uh, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a great opportunity. And in a way, it was kind of like coming home. And I'll explain, you know, explain that. Uh, I first came to Alaska in 1966 as an 11- right, right after statehood. As a, right after statehood as an 11-year-old boy. Um, and my, the reason I came is because my parents got hired by the Bureau of Indian Affairs to teach school. They were teachers to teach school in Kweithluk. Oh, by, uh, by Bethel, right? Right by Bethel in what is now the Chalista region. Of course, the Chalista region didn't exist then because that was five years before ANCSA. Mm-hmm. Um, coincidentally, we lived in that area, Kweithluk and Akiachuk, for five years. I moved uh, with my family. They got transferred to Anchorage in 1971, um, just the same year that ANCSA was uh, enacted by Congress. Where, where did you move? Where did you move from with your parents? Uh, we moved into Anchorage, and but when you came to Alaska, where were you? Got, where were oh, you living? Montana, um, originally from Montana. Yeah. I, I drove when I f- moved to Alaska in '04. I drove up here with a friend from New Mexico, is where I'm from. Okay. And we get, you know, we get, you know, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. <clears throat> I'd never been to Montana before that, and I knew it was called Big Sky Country. And yeah. as soon as I got into Montana, that all made sense. It to all me. makes sense. Just, yeah. it just, yeah, it's yeah, a huge for whatever reason. That sky is very big. Yeah. No, it, it it is it's beautiful country. So you uh, probably have that connection because Lee Baxter, he went to law school there and went to undergrad went, there. Yeah, so exactly. He's a big fan of Montana. Yeah, uh, Lee and I have a lot in common. Lee's parents also were teachers, mm-hmm. um, right? And in rural Alaska, um, so we have yeah, we have a lot in common. Were you, so were you were you around? You remember Joe McGinnis? He wrote that that book, uh, Going to Extremes. I, I remember the book. I read it. Yes, he had the whole chapter about Bethel and, yes. and that, that region, which was a one of my favorite chapters of the book. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So anyway, I, uh, when Andrew offered me the job to come in house, be the top, be the general counsel at Chalista, it was it was kind of like coming full circle. My life, uh, my career in Alaska, mm-hmm. starting out, you know, as a small boy, uh, growing up, had, had a dog team, played basketball, kind of did all of the village things uh, in the region, uh, and it came full circle because now, uh, you know. Andrew Guy, the president, CEO, his uh, grandmother is the one who is the health aide in Kweithluk that 
you know, gave me my vaccination, gave me my shots. Uh, oh, wow. took, took care of my, you know, when, uh, as a, when kids got, got bad colds or flu or something, she was the one that, she was the one that treated us. And Willie Casiley, who's now the chairman of the board, is from Accuchuck. That's where we moved, uh, after the first year. And we lived four years in, in Accuchuck. And, uh, and I knew Willie then very well. I mean, we, uh, he, he was a couple years older than I, so he'd gone away to school. Um, but, the summers out there, we twenty four seven. We were playing basketball, uh, you know, out on the out on the dirt court. So when you came, did you graduate high school in Anchorage? And then we transferred in. Uh, family transferred into Anchorage. Uh, I finished by that time. I was uh, coming in as a junior, so I finished high school, East Anchorage High School, uh, and uh, that was nineteen seventy three when I graduated from high school. Where'd you Where'd you go to? Did you go to college right away, or did you? That was a pipeline kind of time. Did you just uh, just just kind of starting? I went a half a year to to what uh, what was then Anchorage Community College uh, that fall semester. Uh, it's now UAA, uh, a- ACC merged, became mm-hmm. became uh, University of Alaska Anchorage, uh, and then in January, uh, you mentioned. New Mexico, you're from New Mexico, but in January. Oh yeah, that's I right. Went, you. I went uh, went down, started started my four year degree, and got my four year degree from St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's right. We, yeah, we we talked about that. I, I grew up in Rio Rancho, which is about forty five minutes from yes. Santa Fe, and I used to grow up ski a lot. We'd ski a lot, Santa Fe, Taos, Red River, and yes, you know, Colorado, Southern Purgatory, and Wolf Creek. But I love Santa Fe. Whenever I go back home, my parents still live in Rio Rancho. I always go to, you know, the food and the culture and the, the kind of the, squ- the square they have there. And, you know, Santa right. Fe, the main, oh yeah, man, it's the, right. The plaza. The plaza. Yeah. Yes. It's just a great, it's a great, it's a great, great little city. It's the oldest capital city that is a capital in the country. In the country. Right. It's right. like 1500. I mean, it goes back, you know, a long time. Long before statehood, long before New Mexico was a state, long before the U.S. was the U.S. How'd you pick San? I mean, it's kind of a little bit of a smaller unknown yeah it's a, it's it's a very small um, liberal arts college mm-hmm. and even among liberal arts colleges it's kind of unique it it's known as the great book school um, because the uh, the the college is was patterned after it was it was basically started in the 1930s by uh, Mortimer Adler and a couple of others at the University of Chicago uh, and they they patterned the the program at St. John's after essentially St. John's uh, College in Oxford, England. So it is that it's the Oxford and uh, Cambridge mm-hmm. kind of the English model, um, where there are tutors, not teachers or professors, small classes, um, focus on the classics, uh, studying. You study ancient Greek, Latin. Uh, it's a well. This is like old old school. It's very much old school. Yeah, very old school. But it was a uh, it appealed uh, it very much appealed to me. And I had a couple of well, one teacher in particular at at uh, at East, uh, uh, Mr. Mergler. He's uh, probably still around if he's listening. Hello, Mr. Mergler. <laughs> um, but he uh, told me about this told me about this school he knew that I was interested in the classics and he told and 
I, I say that sounds like the school for me. It's crazy how in your life, throughout your life, just some person can impact. I mean, if you wouldn't, if you, if you wouldn't have told you about that, you probably would have never gone there. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> no, exactly. I had. Did, yeah. you, did you ski at all in Santa Fe? Oh yeah, that's a oh, great, oh yeah, great ski area. And Taos too. Ta- Taos, Taos is an hour, hour away, hour and a half away, or something. Yeah, in fact, I drove the bus. I mean, that was part of my one of my one of my jobs there. My my student jobs was to drive the drive the uh, drive the bus to the uh, Santa Fe ski area and also to Taos. Uh, you know, on the weekends. Did too. you go to Albuquerque a lot? Occasionally, not a lot. Uh, so they, you were there in the seven seventies, then, right? Right. Right. So this is you were there before the kind of Hollywood movement. I mean, now Santa Fe and top. I mean, it's so much has been bought up by you know. I think Julia Roberts has a place there, and all these very famous actors and wealthy people have kind of bought property. And it, now it's very expensive. It's like a lot of this kind of gentrification, like San Francisco, and nobody can people can't afford to live there anymore. No, well, that's that's right. I mean, Santa Fe had was known by the wealthy Texans, so there were. A number of wealthy Texans that you know had second homes in Santa Fe, but it hadn't been discovered by you know by California yet. Uh, in the at least when I was there in the seventies, that started in the nineties. That's kind of when that mm-hmm. started going going off. We'd go up there and once we I never really saw anybody. Once in a while, you hear like oh, you know George Clooney's skiing, or you'll hear these kind of yeah. people that are in town. And sometimes you'll 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 see somebody famous. Taos is actually even more. It's easier to see somebody in Taos because so much, so, so much smaller. So much smaller, right. right. So where did you end up going to law school? And then I went to Harvard, Harvard University for law school. Well, you probably know my friend Margaret Stock. She went to Harvard, so very oh, absolutely. Yeah, she yeah. she's been Hello, on the podcast Margaret. several times, and yeah, Margaret is great. I first met Margaret through the Harvard Club of Alaska. She uh, spoke. She was a member of the club, but then she was also a speaker a number of times on uh, on military justice issues and. Immigration she's issues. done pretty well. I mean, she got the MacArthur Fellowship in 2013 yeah. for the immigration work, and uh, she's just—I mean, she's just super sharp. She's, she's very sharp. So Harvard, that's kind of the big one. Did you apply to different ones? And no, was I Harvard. Just, did you kind of I, have a good good feeling, or because that's—I mean, I, even back then, I mean, I assume it's super competitive to get into Harvard Law School, right? My younger brother uh, started the year or two before before I graduated uh, from from undergraduate. He'd started at MIT. And I wanted to go, I knew I wanted to go to the East Coast to see something, you know, learn. Like a, Massachusetts, a, huh? Learn something, you know, experience a different uh, kind of uh, part of the American experience. And I, and then since my brother started at MIT, I s- said, well, I'd like to be close to my brother, John. So I applied to Harvard, uh, Harvard Law School, and got in. Did you have a good, I mean, being a very competitive school, did you have a pretty good feeling? Or were you kind of 50-50, or how'd you... You remember how you felt? Um, at being accepted, or? I assume you did pretty well on the LSAT. I'm guessing I did pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just assuming that. I took that thing after college because I thought about maybe being a lawyer, and I'm just my mind doesn't work with those stupid, you know, seven people on seven days and seven planes, and you know those weird games. Yes, and I didn't do very well, and then I said I don't want to go to, I don't want to be a lawyer. So <laughs> I didn't study very well for it either. So well. Yeah, you do have to study for. Is it, it the same? It's pretty much structured the same today as, as it has been for a long time. Right? I believe so. You know, it's been what, a lot of decades since I took it. But so Santa Fe, I mean Santa Fe to Harvard, it's a big big switch. Well, East Coast, Accutuck to that's true. To uh, Santa Fe was a big switch. That's 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 yeah, that's a good point. So, 
I'm used to the big switches. So after you, so you did three years Harvard, then I assume, did you come back to Alaska? Or did you work in East Coast? Or what did you do after no, that? No, came, came right back to Alaska. I, I, that was always your kind of plan? It was always the plan. And it was even once I got to to uh, Cambridge, to Massachusetts, uh, then it w- for sure was my plan. I mean, Santa Fe was great, as you know. Mountains, lots of, you know, wonderful things to do. It's kind of like New Mexico is not... Similar to Alaska, where it's a big state, you can get away very easily. There's yeah. mountains, there's kind of a lot of things to do, and it's not like you got the city there, but you can also just very quickly get away. But, but uh, after three years in Cambridge, I couldn't wait to get back to Alaska to the mountains, and that's and I've been here ever since. So, when you came back, what, 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 what did you work at a firm or were you at a company? What, what, what was your first job? Uh, first, uh, first job, and for 39 almost 40 years before I I took my current position at Chalista Corporation. I was in private practice with a, with a couple of different firms. Uh, started out with a Seattle-based firm for a few years, but then um, in the late 80s, I had uh, joined with two other attorneys, and we formed our own firm, Coval Featherly and Guerrero, it was called. And, and uh, for several years, was uh, Guerrero left. He, he moved outside, and so it was Coval and Featherly for for. Uh, about five years up until 19, uh, no, until 2001. So and you're just, you're, you're civil, right? You don't do criminal? Uh, exactly. All civil. So in the late 80s, that was when the recession was going on. Were you dealing with any of that? With- dealing with, we did a lot of bankruptcy work, mm-hmm. a lot of debtors, debtors bankruptcy work. So I learned kind of business, the business world, both from the outside as well as kind of from the inside, um, uh, representing debtors that were struggling, a uh, lot of people, a lot of small small businesses. I mean, even the banks, as you know, were were failing. Um, well, there's the know, kind of the 80s. there's this story you hear the common story where pe- people would go to the bank and give the throw the keys and leave the state. This is yeah. I mean I, I mean I've talked to a lot of people. I was born in '84 and I wasn't from here, but I've talked to a lot of people that that were around then. And I mean it. it it, it sounds like it was pretty bad it times. Was, it, was, it was a grim time. Yeah, absolutely, it was a grim time. Uh, and, uh, uh, but I, for those of us who were kind of living through it, I think there were a lot of great life and business lessons that we learned. Um, some of us were a little older, and kind of the lessons were a lot harder. I was younger, so I could kind of just learn from a lot of other people's experiences. My, and My buddy Pete was, he's probably your age, and he was in his 30s when that was going on, and he had some properties and some some businesses, and, and he, he told me that he worked really, really, really hard to not go under. Yes. And he didn't go under, but he said, looking back, all of his friends, similar age, they all filed for bankruptcy, and he says, looking back, he probably should have just done that because he worked so hard yeah. and just put everything into it. But then other people just said, well, screw it. We're, you know, we, we can't afford it. And like he, he said, there were some lessons too about getting overextended. I mean, a lot of, a lot of credit was being, you know, there was the boot kind of boom happening. And yeah. Um, and then one guy I talked to, right. I knew he was my landlord back in, I had a, rented a place from him over on Sylvan back in 2000, 2008, 2007 or eight uh-huh. over on kind of wild roads. There's all these condos that were built in like the seventies and eighties. He had, um, rented to me and one day he mentioned he had had several of the units and I said, how many do you have? And he said, he had 15. Said, you have 15 of these? I said, he's a teacher. Yeah. I said, how'd you get these? He said, he bought them all for 30 grand a piece in the late eighties. Uh, 
and he and he had some money saved up and and he had basically that was his kind of income retirement that he had because they were going for like you know over 100 150 right and then they went down and he got them for basically nothing so he you know some people when these things happen a lot of people get hurt but some people who are in the position who are they in can the actually position. take yep. you know take advantage of it oh absolutely yeah so you're you're at your list now so obviously they're okay with you you running uh, yes. this time yes for, <laughs> uh, what uh very much appreciate uh the support that andrew guys giving me to he's great i've met with him once with uh, Mar- yeah. miranda who you work with he yes set that up and, v- and very, very um fascinating guy andrew yes he no he he very much is he's uh uh, uh he's he, i've learned a lot from him um just in terms of his leadership style uh and how he uh how he leads uh it i really admire it um, on the one hand he's he's very grounded in his in the culture and the Yupik culture, um, very spiritual. I would, you know, I would say even say, um, but he, but he also he understands kind of the Western world and what it takes to compete and compete successfully in the Western world. Uh, and part of what part of his uh, part of that that insight, I think, on his part is uh, is is uh, getting. Uh, putting assembling good people, smart people, competent people, and then letting them kind of do their work and do their, you know, do their thing. He sets a high bar. He expects a lot, um, but he doesn't. He doesn't, you know, micromanage well, what this his is, team is doing. This is what I've observed. You know, I've, I've been around politics for a long time, and I've kind of been in Juno. And um, to me, I've always kind of. I've come to learn the smartest person in the room is the person who surrounds himself with smarter people because there's a lot of situations where these people surround themselves with kind of yes, man or rubber stamp, you know, and and they micromanage or they won't let people, they won't let people actually do things. Yes. And nothing can ever get done in that, in that situation. So, yeah. And and that, and that, you know, that's Andrew. Um, He's also um, very well respected for good reason uh, in the region, um, respected by, by his board, by the board, I mentioned Willie Casale, who's who's the chair, and uh, so yeah, he's he's kind of the whole package. Um, so so I know great. you pay attention and you know what's going on in Juno. I got to ask him. I mean, you're you're you know successful guy. You make good money. You're you know why do you want to go to Juno? I mean, it's so messed up down. There. I'm sure you're very aware of how screwed up it is down there. Well, and you're running as independent too, which run, running is running as a nonprofit. Um, yeah, I, I don't non-partis, non-partis. I'll push back on you a little bit. I don't think it's really, I wouldn't say it's screwed up. Um, actually, I think the last legislature, uh, the this past legislature that just ended is, is was pretty good. I mean, they did, uh, got a, got some pretty good measures passed, um, worked with the governor, um, and, or at least some of them. Enough of them. Uh, enough, or, yeah. You know, enough well, of them. it got a little easier when the price of oil shot up in that, March. It got made it a little, course, little, bit, little bit easier to get the of course. budget. Yeah, of course that helped. But as to why I'm running, um, I do think that there's room for uh, for a little more common sense. Um, a, little, a, little, a little more? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Spend a year down there. You'll, you'll, you'll say a lot more, I think. So I... I, I'm looking to I'm looking to give back. I mean, this this is a state that's been very good to me. Um, uh, raised, a, you know, built a business, developed a practice, raised a family, built a house. 
Uh, the state's been very good to me. I'm looking looking forward. I see a, just, I'm sure, like uh, uh, every Alaskan does, that we have a lot of challenges yet before us, and uh, and I have a lot of ideas. Uh, and, I'll, and I think that my, my uh, philosophy of government, what government should do and can do, is is one that I think it would help the state, and I'm and I want to bring that to Juneau and work with work with other uh, well uh, good 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 well intended and good minded people to to move this state forward to build a better future for us. Now, now your race, it's you and there's two Republicans, Julie Colom and Ross Beeling, and and Ross, I just checked, he hadn't raised much money, so. It, kind of appears you and Julie are kind of the main candidates. Um, if you if you were to win, things in Juneau for the last four years have been so close in the House, and very likely it could be a situation where it's 1921 or 2020, you know. And as an independent, um, have you kind of thought about where you might, I mean, Democrats, Republicans, I mean, what, what would you kind of, what would your ideal, I guess, situation be for, for a caucus? And obviously you probably want to be in, be in the majority better than being in the minority. Well, my ideal is that there's a there's a caucus that has uh, whatever whatever number it is more than twenty of people that share my values, and that that's my ideal, and that's what I'm going to be looking for. Who shares, you know, who best shares the values that I have, uh, and that's that's where I'll that's where I will want to go. Whether I'll be invited or or not is, you know, is another matter. But that's what I'm going to be looking for is to work with other people who uh, uh, have have in, in their hearts and in their minds to do what's best for Alaska, to build a, to make this a better place for us, uh, but especially for our children and our grandchildren. And whatever, whatever, uh, in it, whatever, uh, letter is after their name, whether it's an R or a D or an N or an I or whatever it might be, that matters essentially nothing to me. It's mm. who the, who they are yeah, as people. So the big issue, you know, since 2016 has been this, this dividend thing, and it's every year it becomes the big focal point. And th- there was kind of, I want to ask you what kind of where you are, but there was kind of an agreement between Dunleavy and the legislature and the working group on this 50-50 amount. And for over a year, that was Dunleavy came out in twenty twenty one. He had a press conference, and Lyman Hoffman was there, and Mike Shower, and I mean a lot of the big, you know, a lot of legislators, and they kind of settled on the fifty fifty, which is half of the POMV distribution goes to dividends, half goes to government, which I think is still it still creates a situation where you need revenues and taxes, but it's closer, a lot closer than the kind of full statutory amount. Um, but then after the price of oil went up, Dunleavy came out and. He kind of said, because 50 50 is 2,600. And then he, he came out and said 3,700. And then all of a sudden the Senate did 5,500 for a while. And it's just all over the map on this on this number that creates so much um, chaos every year when it comes to getting anything else done. So I guess where, where are you at on the, the dividend and how, how do you feel as the, you know, what, what's your ideal to get the thing solved so it's not creating so much, so many problems every year? Well, I'll. I look at it this way. I'm I'm a guy who respects what the laws are, kind of respects the principles that are involved, and respects the the intentions of the of the voters who approved the law in the in the in the first place. The permanent fund was set. The, uh, 
purpose that the permanent fund was set up, and then the uh, and then the purpose behind and the the law associated with the statutory dividend, which was to give uh, citizens, residents, not just citizens, uh, residents of Alaska, a stake, personal stake, individual stake in that permanent fund, and that, uh, and so I. Re- I'm behind that principle, and I'm behind that statute, that 1982 statute, and I think the, legis- the legislature should, should, should have, and the governor should have, everybody should just stay with that principle and stay with that law. And then that, avoid, that will avoid a lot of the chaos that you've just described that took place, um, you know, changing positions, uh, presumably oh, it just, it just a, becomes a kind of pick the number every year. It becomes year. a pick the number. And, but it's interesting because when they passed the statute in 82, you know, this was designed based on longevity. And, you know, you're a lawyer, there was a lawsuit, the Zobel case. And then, yes. so, so there was a very different original intent of how that was supposed to be structured. And then there was, I think Margaret Stock was involved in the 90s. There was this kind of issue of permanent residence. Do, would they qualify? And then they didn't, but now they, now they do. So it has, even though the laws remain the same, it has changed a little bit through through the courts. But the calculation of the dividend amount has not changed. Yeah, the stat, the statutory, the, stat, the, the, the five-year. The statutory formula has not changed. Yeah. So, so you, so if you keep, so a lot of people who want the statutory dividend also are against revenues and taxes, which is a crazy kind of position to take because it's just, the budget's the budget, even if it's cut down to where it's, you know, from its peak, it was six over six billion. The operating now it's about four and a half. There's just not enough. Well, there money. is. Well, there is now, and and in my view, if we if we were smart about what we've been doing, which we haven't been as smart as we could have been, as we should have been, that we, we don't we don't have to get into this. We never get into this discussion about needing to raise taxes, because there there are. Revenue. There are opportunities from growing our economy that, and not wasting the money that we do have, investing the money that we have wisely. And we're back now in that situation where we have excess, we have surpluses. If we invest that money wisely and be and we're smart about it, and we don't waste it, and we don't squander it on on ill-conceived projects, then. We don't have to, then we never get to the question of taxes. Well, we've got we got kind of lucky with the price of oil. Now with hundred and ten dollar oil, it's much better position. But I mean, my concern is if it goes down again, which it, it always does, we're back to that point of. So, so let let's work real hard before that happens, because I agree with you. The price of oil goes up, the price of oil goes down. Let's let's invest in Alaska to get thing to get the economy going. Uh, Get our get the backbone of our economy, which is the resource natural resource industry. And by natural resources, I don't just mean uh, ga- oil and gas uh, minerals, although those are very critically important. But it's also our natural environment, uh, which has you know, which has great value uh, uh, not only to us who live here and enjoy it, but you know to the tourists around the world. Well, so, I was I was talking you know recently about the, this king situation, the fit, salmon runs, but you know, a king salmon in a net is worth I don't know three or four hundred bucks. But a king salmon to a to a, a a sport fisherman who comes from lower forty eight or from abroad, you know, is worth fifteen grand. Yeah. When you look at the tickets and the hotels and the guide and the food, I mean, there's a. You're right. There's so much other 
you know, res- I mean, obviously oil and gas is very important, mining important, but you know, the other part of the economy is, is also um, right. important. So exactly. But it all comes down to our natural, to, to the natural resources, the natural environment that we have. And uh, if we are smart about it and we invest in it and we don't do things that are, that undermine it, like, um, like overtax any industry um, and we don't squander the money that uh, the money that we do collect from revenues, uh, from royalties, and from taxes on ill-conceived projects, we're going to be fine. In fact, uh, the problem that I have is too often, and too often our our legislators and our and our uh, and our governor and the people in in the governor's office get into this mindset of of an environment of scarcity and they make and they think about it and they sort of make and react uh, and make decisions based upon the fear that everything's going to run out uh-huh. instead of coming at it from the standpoint of no we're we're in an environment of abundance we have amazing resources we still have we've you know we've squandered we've we've squandered a lot of the oil already, but there's still a lot left and it's not just oil, but it includes oil and gas. Let's think those, let's think in those terms. Let's think in terms of growing this pie, well, I mean, not, between, not dealing with, with the shrinking pie. Between Willow and, and Pika, those two fields, it's a lot of oil. There's a lot of oil. And, and I want to ask you about, you know, this has been talked about for decades, but uh, the gas line, it's every time it gets close, it doesn't happen. But now with this Russia situation, with, with, with gas, um, supply issues and the price of gas being up. I mean, I, I think it's to me crazy. The state hasn't at least built the thing to Fairbanks, which would, which would, you know, it costs money. It's, it's not going to you know pay for itself, but I believe there's a role of government to do these projects. If it goes to Fairbanks, that first of all creates a much better situation for, for energy in Fairbanks for, and you know, this, this, this burning of the, of the um, firewood, you know, and the, and the inversion with the, the smog and all that. But if you get it to Fairbanks, all of a sudden it gets a little bit more, you know, economical to get it down here where we can start exporting it because the supply issue is actually a real concern now for Asia and for Europe. And for Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, there are tremendous, op- I mean, there's a tremendous amount of gas that's there. Trillions. I mean, of they people. just burn it off. I mean, it's just, they re-inject well, or it. Or re- 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 yeah. You know, re-inject it. And, and so, we're in, yeah, we're in an environment where we're blessed by having these incredible riches and a lot of them. Let's use our minds, our brains, and let's make a better, a better life for us. Let's figure out how to use them that, to benefit us. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, destroying the environment in the process. Absolutely not. We don't, but it's not necessary. We can preserve all of the wonderful features that we have our, of our landscape, our, our wildlife, uh, our rivers, our recreational opportunities, all of that. Uh, there's a lot of land up here and a lot of those, a lot of those scenic areas that the, the very small footprints that would be required in certain areas to develop, uh, to develop these resources. You know, I've, I've worked, I've worked, in, in, infinitesimally small. I've, I've worked up there and it's, it's, the footprint is, is it's a, it's small, but, but B, um, the regulations are so strict. I mean, and if you spill a little bit of fluid or something, you know, that shuts shuts down. It's there's very strict regulations up there, and yes. it's it's um it's a great operation so, going going on. So we just have to get out of we have to break out of this mindset of 
it's either or, it's not either or. And there's also this mindset that, um, that uh, you know, we have to, that the sky's falling and tomorrow's, you know, the smor- uh, tomorrow we're all going to f- sail off the cliff. That's, it might happen, but, it'll, but it doesn't have to happen if we're smart. Well, I mean, it. the frustration that I have, and I've, I've been down there for, you know, f- almost five years now in Juneau every session, and you see this kind of short two-year mentality because every two years there's an election, and then you get a lot of people, and this is why I've long kind of taken the position, I think we should pay our legislators $150,000. I think it should be a full-time job because it ends up being essentially you're there three months, but it's really five months or six months usually, and there's special sessions, and then when you're back, there's still other things to do. And we elect, you know, there's 60 legislators, and a lot of them are kind of, you know, some of them are retired, and some of them have a job, but then some of them kind of just, that's what they're doing, and they don't really, yes. to me, it's like you're in charge of billions of dollars yeah. that, that in, a, in a huge state, you know, you want really serious people that, that know what's going on, and and and, and that's why Absolutely. I, I say if you win, you'll you'll go down, you'll see it's 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 really frustrating just how kind of screwed up things are. I mean, yeah, they always, they always get there at the end, but when I, th- win. I think we could, when, be, when I win, when you win, when, when I win, what, you know, I, I think we could be doing so many more things in the state. Yeah, absolutely. That we don't do that. And, kind of puzzles we, me that they would yeah, just, that's right. And, and, and therein, therein is the answer to the question. Why am I running? So you got the primary coming up here in a few weeks. Yes. You're, it's this new rank, rank right. choice open primary. So, um, I assume you're going to want a good, better showing for you. The, but you're going to advance to the general because only three of you. That's right. And then you have this ranked, yes, choice thing. So I assume in this district, it's South Anchorage. It's kind of conservative leaning, but it's not. I mean, it didn't go super for for Biden. I, mean, I think it broke a little for Biden, maybe, or try. I have to go back and check. But it's pretty kind of even. Um, it's not like super Republican like the Valley or something. So you're going to have to get the, I assume you'll just get all the left of center votes anyways, because there's no Democrat in the race, but you're going to have to appeal to some base of the Republican side to be able to get to that, you know, 51%. Which I, which, which I think I do. I mean, I, I think my, I think my fellow hillsiders and South Anchorage folks, I think I'm, uh, I'm a lot, I'm very much like most of them. um, Because I think they, where they are is they're not beholden to a party. They, they look at the person not the party they think for themselves they're they're by and large well educated they have like me they they work uh, are employed they work hard for a living they want to uh, they want a good life for themselves for their families they want to preserve their neighborhoods and, and their environment um, so I I think that I'm the perfect candidate actually to to appeal to uh, to the hills. We saw in 2020. I mean, Suzanne LaFrance came in at the end. Kind of, she switched out for the Democrat. She was independent, but she got pretty close. I mean, she had 40. Forget what it was, but she was pretty close in that in the hill, one of those hillside districts. Yes, last time. So yeah. it's it's not like you look at these valley districts where I mean, it's they go for Trump 60 percent or something. Those are those are very different than the Anchorage. At Anchorage, you know, it's we we elect. Um, Assembly is very progressive, and, and Bronson, you know, barely won the mm-hmm. mayoral race. So it's yeah. Anchorage is kind of shifting over the years. Yeah. Well, it's been a great having you on, Walter. I mean, you got the primary coming up, and then the general. What's what? This has been, I mean, kind of your first legislative. What's it been like so far? I mean, you're working full time, and you're campaigning. It must be, must be. I mean, I've run before too, so I know how much work it is. Well, it's a, you're right. It, it's a lot of work, but it's exciting and and it's fun, um, and it, it's energizing. Um, Are you not hitting doors? 
uh, hitting doors. Uh, I'm going to going to really hit them next week. My sign's coming out. Um, well, signs will be going up here real soon. It's going to be, uh, it, it's a real eye catcher. Uh, let's, Is there a feather incorporated maybe? Or uh, no, you well, you, you can use your imagination and stay tuned. It'll be uh, hitting the streets here over the next couple of days, but uh, I, I I, I think your uh, I think your imagination is is focusing right in on it. My friend Forrest Wolf, he's running in the East Anchorage, one of the East Anchorage districts. I don't know if you saw his sign. He's got like a wolf howling. And, okay. Yeah, okay. so yeah. he's kind yeah. of incorporating the the name into the sign. Smart. Well, it's been great talking. We've met a long time ago, but I, I know you know my friend Lee and, and yes. Matt. So yeah, um, great they, they shout were, out. Great shout out to Lee and Matt. They're, I got to give them a big shout out for representing me pro bono for my lawsuit against the governor on my press access. They're 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 not only. Fantastic, wonderful lawyers, but they're wonderful people too. They're good guys. Well, I'm glad you're running. I, I always say the more people that run is the better. And, and my being in Juno, um, I, I I just I really wish you know more people who kind of understand things and are thoughtful would run because it's it's to the point now where so many people who who should run don't run yeah. because of the money situation and and the, the being in Juno for three or four or five. It's really hard for younger people with families and jobs. It's very difficult for sure. Absolutely. It's it's um absolutely. Like I said, I think we should make it a full time gig and pay him one fifty. But I don't think the public would uh, would get on board with that too. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think I'm in favor of that. <laughs> well, thanks again, Mr. Uh, Walter Featherly, running for um, House. Di- what is it now? Uh, what's the new number? Uh, House District Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. They, House well, District they, Eleven. I think it was like twenty eight, but they've they've changed everything. So. Twenty six or something. I don't know, but it's it's House District Eleven. Yes. Okay. Well, and if folks want to get a hold of you, the website, I'm sure, Facebook page, all that. www dot electfeatherly.com nice and we'll, we'll stay tuned for those signs all right stay thanks tuned. again walter appreciate you coming on thank you jeff uh, folks if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast get a hold of me and if you're listening on itunes or spotify or pandora give us a nice review to appreciate it and stay tuned for the next one Landline.